Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. January 15th, 2023, episode 217, Riding in the Car with Bob. Hey everyone, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. Fresh home from the Hive Live conference and as the title suggests, this episode's going to be a car recording. Rode home with Bob Claus after attending the Hive Life conference in Tennessee and the two of us reflected on that and you know I should say that this episode is going to be one of a couple parts. We recorded a whole bunch of stuff on the way home. We had a 10 hour drive after all. And as such uh, I think what I'm going to do is one of the recordings was almost two hours long. We'll just break that in half. So that'll be this episode. We're going to talk about our impressions of Hive Life and a bunch of different things that we experienced. The second half will be released in the next episode, which will be our commentary about how things are going for our hives in winter. We did record another episode version half about what we saw, meaning our takeaways from the different sessions. So that'll come up in a future episode. And I want to say now, because the timing is right, that very soon in here, I'm going to inject the introduction of the Manage Mentoring Getting Started in Beekeeping program. Now, this is not going to take weeks. I'm probably going to produce a bunch of these shows and release them back to back to back to back over the coming days. I just wanted to say hello. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Everybody is uh, kind of hanging in there and... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Now, you know, when it comes to car recordings, they sound terrible. Sorry for the noise quality. Did what I could to kind of polish this one up, but you can only take it so far. Uh, A lot of road noise, a lot of thumping from the, you know, seams in the joints and otherwise. But I think once you get used to the din of car recordings, you'll be able to follow along and it should be okay. I did my best to... I do a little sound production on this and with no further ado look i'm gonna jump right in and let you go it'll probably be i guess an hour and a half before i plug this in here so we'll see how this goes and i hope you enjoy this episode riding in the car with bob yes i'm back hi everyone welcome to the beekeepers corner podcast this is kevin england if you didn't figure that out and today i have the pleasure i'm going to be joined by bob Claus. how you doing bob doing well so you and I are sitting in the Kev van on the pilot driving back from Tennessee and the Hive Life Conference, and we're going to talk about that in this episode, and maybe we have so much to talk about that we'll break it up into a couple episodes. But before that, I, you know, I got enough feedback at people I ran into in the show to just say... Give a little update about myself and what's been going on because I haven't been recording. First thing to say is if you're new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, I've been doing this show since 2010 and I've talked about a bunch of different topics over the course of my tenure 
If you're new, this is a perfect time to come and join the show, if that is your bent, because you're going to find out that I was just saying this to Bob as we prepared to muster and get out of here this morning. The new beekeeper's beekeeper. That That's going to be kind of a new tagline for me for a little while because that's the focus. And when you hear what I've been up to, you'll understand that. And I guess Bob's been the brunt, <laughs> Bob, <laughs> the brunt of my mindset lately about different things on this because I'm so in the zone about this. So, Kevin, you've been obsessed. Let's obsessed. Just, let's... I told you on the way down here, I said, by the way, I'm going to be obsessed. <laughs> well, I'm going to drive you nuts on this. True to form. Yeah. So the, what, the one thing that uh, I have to dispel is I have not met my demise. I am <laughs> fine and doing well. Um, you know, in the previous episode, I had talked about an issue with my left eye still going on. In fact... Um, to catch you up if you didn't hear it, I have a tumor that's developed on the bottom of my left eye, and the tumor is leaking fluid and blood, messy stuff. And unfortunately, I need to go in for surgery. And if you saw me at this Hive Life conference that we're about to talk about, I wore a mask most of the time. It wasn't because, you know, one of those, whatever you conjure that to mean. It's because I'm going for surgery and I can't be sick. All the planning, and Bob, you and I talked about this. It takes a lot of pre-planning to get to that surgery date, right? Yeah. You got to go through the screening and the blood tests and... Well, and let's remind everybody what happened to us at EAS this year. Yes. Right? That was our parting gift as we both left with COVID. Right. So... I mean, I'm up to date on my shots of my boosters and I've had my flu shot and so on. Surprisingly, there were really only probably two dozen people out of 2,000 wearing masks yeah. this conference. But, you know, so that, that goes to show the state of people's mindset about the risk for this. But simply, it can't be sick because I am heading into my surgery date and I have a number of appointments that I can't miss in advance of that. So what are they going to do? They're going to take needles similar to like what you would do acupuncture they're going to stick them in my eye and they're going to zap my eyeball with a laser and coming out the other side it's going to be six to eight months of healing but hopefully it will restore the vision in my left eye which is still it's vastly improved but quite compromised and you know part of what's been going on in my life is dealing with going to eye doctor appointments and scanning and other miscellaneous stuff for that. Yeah, you've re- really amazed me at how you've been able to do all these things with one eye. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just, you drove 10 hours down here, right, <laughs> with one eye. You, you've had to adjust. It's not terrible. I mean, I could see out of the eye. There's no focus whatsoever. I can't read billboards or anything with it. And it's changed your life in just different ways. One of the things I joke about, Bob, is every time I turn the corner, I bang my shoulder against the wall because <laughs> my depth perception is off. Uh, yeah. Reading computer screens, um, you know, working on the computer, which you're going to hear, has been really a chore, difficult. Um, and all I've been doing lately is working on a computer. 
So the other thing that I will talk about, and I don't know how much we're going to talk about it in this episode, is that I've, I've mentioned this in the past. I'm working on training course to train new beekeepers that I want to launch here in January and I'm I'm tenuous at having it done enough to actually launch the thing but I'm going to do this last moment press and launch it and I think I'm going to be better for it so I've had this theme lately about I decided and what I explained to you, Bob, we, we had 10 hours to, by the way, folks, you're going to hear me say, I said, Bob and I talked about a lot of stuff, 10 hours to talk on the way down here. I've recognized that I have this phrase, and if I ever write a book about something someday, I think the title of it might be, I Decided. And the I Decided concept goes a little bit deeper. Is I make a pact with myself that every time... I plan to do something, I'm going to go all in. And it's that moment that I decided to do it, that I have committed myself, every fiber of my being, every inch of my soul, to do it. And maybe it doesn't happen in the time frame that I think it's going to. Rain stopped, Bob. Yeah. You could hear the rain on the windshield, I'm maybe, sure that, in the recording I'm sure you here. Could, yeah. um, but typically, when I do something, I go big. And in the case of this thing that I'm talking about, my management during training program, I want to say, and I, you and I, we reviewed it on the way down here. It's been a lot of work. You could recognize through Bob's testimony that the amount of, of stuff that I built for this program has been why you haven't heard me behind. I had to quit what I was doing on a bunch of different things that I have going on in my life and turn and focus on this program to get it to the finish line. And it's an incredible amount of work, Kevin, from what I've seen. I feel like, and, and we talked about this on the way down here, that it's at the halfway point. The halfway point is deciding what it is, running it for a couple of years, testing it, going through the agile process of changing it, and then collating it to a point where you're convinced it's mature enough to stand on its own and put it out there in the world and test it full scale. And, and I, so that's the stage I think I'm at. Do I think it's done and perfect? Absolutely not. I know it's not. And, and I guess that's one thing that impresses me. It's a multi-year process. Yeah. This is uh, not something that you're going to do in a couple of weeks, put it out a few months later, it's good to go. This idea came up probably about five years ago, mm-hmm. is my guess, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's, let's come back to the conference. So if you're not familiar with Hive Life, Bob and I, we've, we're going to talk about this somewhere. We've got a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we do. After the first night of the conference, you and I sat down in our hotel room while having an adult beverage and started reminiscing about all the people that we saw and we started making a list and because I'm recording on the phone where I recorded the list there's no way to recall it but it's monumental 
it's astonishing how many people you and I have seen. And we, we tried to qualify this, like, we drove somewhere to a show to see these people in person. Some of them we saw through Zoom. Yeah, A handful of them we saw at EASs and ABFs and things like that. But, but a good majority of them, we went to Northeast New Jersey Beekeepers Association and saw Peter L. Borst. Yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> For the life of us, we couldn't remember the guy's name. We had to phone a friend. Thank you, Frank. To, to say, who was that guy we saw from Cornell? We just couldn't conjure the name. But there were a couple names, Bob, that we struggled to find. And yeah. we had to look up the... Uh, David Gilly. David Gilly, yep. From William Patterson University, we saw him. Who were the ones that I remembered that were like, oh, Lincoln Senate? Lincoln Senate, wow. Huh? Yep. The New Jersey Beekeepers Meeting. But it comes to show that, and, and one of the reflections we had is all the stuff that we know, all the stuff we talk about, we have sampled the goods from so many different people and got their impressions. Even this conference, we've never seen Ian Steffler. I haven't. You haven't, right? No. no. And, and that's where this really all started, right? It all started with, we're down here. Why, why are we down here? Because we've never seen the speakers, most of the speakers. Drove 10 hours right? to see Richard Noel and... We got to meet and talk to Etienne Tardif, which was great. Yeah. Bob Binney. To see Bob Binney, I've watched some of his his videos, but it's not the same as seeing him in person. He was very impressive. I, I felt bad that we didn't get to talk to Etienne, but, you know, there's 2,000 people there that want to talk to him, so maybe some other time. Um, but so appreciative. You know, his just his work alone on thermoregulation and whatever... I don't say this to be a jerk, but it verified what I thought I knew, mm-hmm. and it expanded on what I knew. Yeah. Right? Like, you and I were talking between one of the sessions about how moisture collection plays a role in overwintering, yeah. and he did a, a spectacular job at articulating that concept through his diagrams and his teachings, yeah. and it's something that you and I had talked about when we discussed upper insulation and insulating the hives and ventilation and all of that stuff. But he did a great job taking the concept, which was at a maturity level of a one or two at our understanding, and bringing it to a four or a five out of five, right? Really did the work on it. And it's all those things that add up to what we know as master beekeepers, um, all the work and study that we did. So speaking of ATN, we ran into him early in the conference, right as we walked in. So let's talk about that for a second. So on the way down, as we always do, we're saying, how long do you think it's going to be, Kevin, till we were recognized? <laughs> yeah. Right? So we were, you know, we we're going to make a bet on it. But does it take uh, a minute, an hour, two days, a day? So <laughs> we get to the conference center. And uh, you scan your QR code to get your ticket. You get your ticket, you put the lanyard around your neck, <laughs> and the next thing you hear is, Hey, hi, Kevin. We were recognized immediately. It was, uh, I, I'm going to correct you. We walked through the parking lot, 
We walked down the sidewalk. We opened the door, and we were in the foyer to the building where people were collecting to go get the, and somebody stopped at the first person we encountered. Yeah. But that's just kind of goofy to me personally. I don't live for that, but no. but it is part of the program. And you and I were talking to Landy Simone, who was overwhelmed by the fact that people actually wanted to have a picture taken with her. Yeah. Um, what was cool is I... I hate talking about this. <laughs> when we yeah. walked around EAS, yeah. we're known. You and I are known because that's our peeps, our, our community. We've been there a lot of years. We've presented a lot of shows. People have seen us. They know us. They've listened to us. Even if they've never listened to the podcast, it's from presenting there. Nobody knows who we are down here right. in this region. Um, I have an aside to tell you about. You know, you, you've been there on the journey. I've dragged you kicking and screaming into the Amen. YouTube videos that we did for Northwest and all that work for the hundreds of videos that we put out in the years. I walked up to the podcast booth that they had at the show where the guys were interviewing people, and I introduced myself to the hosts and said, thanks for what you're doing. Nice job. I love your setup and whatever. And the guy looked at me like I had three heads he didn't understand me but over to the side some gentleman who was working with them one i don't know whether he was a host or producer what his role was he come bounding around the corner of the thing and he's like you're kevin oh my god you know and he's yelling at these guys that this guy is the northwest guy he's got videos with four million views and all that it was really awkward funny yeah do you know who he is right yeah (laughs) this is the 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 new jersey guy you know like yeah it was Uh, funny yeah you never know the experiences you get yourself into but let's talk about the the presentations okay where do you want to start Let's talk about the show itself, its theme. Because you yeah. and I have never been to Hive Life. I don't personally know Cayman Reynolds. And I, and I have to, I admitted to you that the people who are presenting claim to fame for this thing is they're all internet famous. Yes. That's where they come from. And so it's a strange community because it's driven by the social media machine of. YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and things like that. Now, I'm not oblivious to who Dirt Rooster is, Mm -hmm. the guy that's absolutely the guy for doing cutouts. Cutouts. And his compatriot, Mr. Ed, who is probably number two in the marketplace, if I'm gathering what I saw. Um... I've heard of Frederick Dunn and saw his videos and have recommended him in the past. I didn't know who Bob Benny was. I know the name. And I know he shot a couple videos that people say, you need to see this Bob Benny video or whatever. But you you tend to know him more. So tell me more about the people that were on the panels and presenting. Yeah, so the way I was introduced to Bob Benny, and I was late to the uh, late to the party, so to speak is uh, I was doing some research on a talk that I was giving at EAS on oxalic acid. And I came across these videos of uh, Bob Binney 
and Jennifer Berry. And they were discussing Jennifer's work on uh, oxalic acid. And the, the relationship between the two of them is that Bob Binney has provided a lot of the resources, i.e. the bee, bees and the beehives, for Jennifer to do some of her research. And so they were just a couple of videos where they were sitting around a table, you know, talking to two beekeepers, talking bees. Right. But, you know, what I found out is this guy has a whole host of uh, videos on every subject that you can you can think of. So I haven't really even scratched the surface of, of watching uh, what he's put out there. But other people obviously know who he is, and he was big. He was very... Very impressive. Um, let's let's so let's go back. This, the conference had a whole different feel than any that we had been to. This before. is where I was going, right? Okay. This is a new community of people that we don't know and they don't know us, right. and and it's the people who are super young, right? We tend to yeah. see people at EAS, which is our major haunt. They've been there. They've been five, six. They're there to get the latest research and to catch up on, you know, the aspect of what's going on in the industry. This had a little of that, but it also had quite a bit of more backyard beekeeper topic, which is where you and I love to to play, right? Yeah. Yeah, again, so a lot of the people that came to the conference, you know, they knew of the speakers through social media, but I'm sure they had never met any of them in person either. So it was, if I had to say it in a word, it was fun. It was just a fun conference. It was a it And was it a was said over and over again. It's everybody kept, even the speakers were like, something's going on here. It's a vibe. Right? There was a different vibe to it. Yeah. So obviously there's, there's love and hate in the fact that it was so successful that they sold out. They couldn't sell more tickets. Yeah. They filled the venue. And, you know, there were times when we were like cattle prod. <laughs> you know, you're walking down the hallway with 30 people in front of you, 30 people behind you. You're six deep and you're going to your next session. Yeah. And you're just, you know, doing that stutter step because you can't take full strides because there's just too many people. Yeah, I don't yeah. particularly love that. That's like the worst experience for me personally. I can't stand that. Yeah. But the, and the main disappointment to me in that, in that regard is I wanted to talk to everybody, right? I wanted to get to meet everyone and it was just impossible. As, it, as we were saying on the, on the way uh, up this morning, there were probably people there that we knew that we didn't even see over the two days. So that was one of the uh, one of the drawbacks. We were having discussions, and, and if Cayman Reynolds listens to this, I want him to know that they did a spectacular job, yeah. right? But yeah. first and foremost, it was one of the best organized, best designed, best communicated conferences. Were there warts? Of course there were. How could you possibly come up with a model that would be spectacular in everybody's measurement out of the gate and you know there there was a comment somewhere along the line about how this group uh, 
doesn't contribute like the big guys. They're not yeah. doing contributions to research. And I said, you got to be kidding me. This is three years old or whatever. I yeah. don't know. Three years old. They're going to get there. And in fact, one of the keynotes came and said, we're going to work on doing this and that and the other thing and, and get to that maturity. But it's just a yeoman's job to run this thing, get it running and actually pull it off and close the weekend without bodies laying in the gutter, <laughs> yeah. you know? So they did a great job. They I, did a great I, job I of picking agree. the speakers. They're a little of it, like the way they set the screens up and, and stuff. Um, it's a little campy, but what would you expect, right? They're, they're getting their sea legs, so to speak. So we'll be critical here and there, just observational, like human nature. But in no way should it reflect that it was not the most outstanding execution on their part they they killed it you know yeah and it, this thing was organized by i think a handful of people yeah right <clears throat> most conferences like this hire a professional company to come in and set the venue up and deal with the conference center and deal with the caterer and you know somebody organizes the how, how about the the vendor room wow. was that's you personally I've seen bigger but you personally that has to be the biggest vendor room you've ever seen it was it absolutely was the most a uh, number of vendors uh, the widest variety of products uh, things that I've never seen before which you know after all these years you've seen most of it yeah so so you and I could go into some beekeeping store, let's say Grant Stiles' place up there in Forbes. And what was it, what was fascinating is, and sorry, EAS, you know, there's room to grow. Uh, there were a couple notable EAS people there looking at this conference, and they had to go back with there's a new kid in town, right? Mm -hmm. um, the EAS vendor area over the last couple of years has been awful. I, I don't know what the hell happened, but they bring a token amount, like a van full of goods. They set it up and they set the catalog and tell you to order out of the catalog. There are some people there that had a full-blown store set up in their booth areas. Absolutely. Everything you could possibly want. Trinkets and different unique things and whatever. And the thing was, everybody brought their inventory of stuff, and the diversity of what was available, to your point, was amazing. If yeah. you were looking for a certain type of hive tool, you were going to find it. If you were looking for a certain type of queen marking device, you know what I saw? Yeah. It's only the first time in a handful of times. You know the queen marking tube-looking thing that looks like a plastic pipe? Yeah. You know, it's got the little chamber on the bottom that you hold the queen, and it's got the tube that comes up to the hole. I don't even know how to use one of those things. Yeah. Uh -huh. They had them there. Did you see them? I, I don't remember seeing them, though. They were on the, in that booth in the back row. I uh -huh. mean, but this is what I mean. Yeah. You never see those things, and someone had them there, which that, to me, is the coolest part. It's like, oh, you know, there's... A hundred people walked by and looked at that thing and said, I don't even know what that, that is. And you and I walked around the show, and at one point we said, like, what's that thing? And the guy said, what? Yeah. 
what are you doing? I said, well, what is that? I've never seen one of those. And he said, that's a pollen cleaner. Yeah, pollen cleaner. Ah, uh, okay. Never seen one of those. The other thing that, that was impressive about the vendor area is the vendors brought in literally pallet loads of frames, yeah. of boxes, assembled and unassembled. I mean, truckloads of this stuff. Not, you know, a, a few. I brought a few because I'm going to sell a few. And they did. They sold. Who are we talking about that to that gentleman? Yeah, this morning. Right? <laughs> he How brought many? 680 frames. Yeah, right? To take back to Virginia. He who? said there wasn't any room in the truck. That the one guy was pulling clothes out of his out of his suitcase to put frames in because he could optimize the space. Right. So it was not only the variety of products and anything he could want, it was the quantity. If you wanted to buy, you know, 15 fully assembled nukes, they were there. Yeah. So. I, I guess that could parlay. And, you know, one, one last thing to say is, how big was the, the vendor area? Not a gymnasium in a high school. A gymnasium in a college where you play basketball that big. Yeah. It was a large conference center hall yeah. that rivaled the, the, you know, imagine when they did the keynote the first day, there's 2,000 people that could fit in the big room. Yeah. Well, and let's say this too. Cayman uh, did a really good job of structuring the conference so that there was plenty of time to visit the vendor area. Yes. And that's really important. And the vendor area was right there next to. Yeah. At EAS this year, those poor people, the vendors, they, they got killed because they were off in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in this conference, they gave you a half an hour between speakers. So and everybody, the, the one big conference room was on one side. Mm -hmm. They had two conference rooms. They had an A and a B, basically. Everybody came out of B, and everybody came out of A, and they came back to the central area of the conference center and went right back into the vendor hall. Yeah. And you could visibly see from day one to day three, like day one, the night that we showed up. Yeah. The room emptied out. Yes. They emptied their inventory. If you're a, a salesperson... You're missing it if you didn't get in this conference because yeah. those people sold truckloads of stuff. Well, so let's talk about. By the way, there's some stuff in the back here. Yeah, so I'm just I was just <laughs> going to go there. So let's talk about that. A, a perfect example was we uh, saw these, <clears throat> excuse me, fully assembled three frame nuke boxes, mating nukes basically, and they were very well made, and they the price was right, right, and there was a stack of them. There's probably 15 or, or 20 of them, and uh, you were enamored with them. I like them too, don't get me wrong, and bought some the first first day, and you said, Bob, you know, you better buy, if you want them, you better buy them now. Better buy them. There's not going to be any left by the uh, end of the I got room the in the truck, you can have some. So Kevin bought his, we put him out to the truck, we went down, back the next day, and you know, a half of half of them were gone. We were back the next day. The next morning, half of them were gone. Yeah, there was a handful left, and guess what? I went in yesterday. Gone. At the end of the conference, they were all gone. So to your point, they sold a, a lot of uh, product. So it was good for the vendors. It was good for the, the beekeepers. 
and it was good for the uh, conference in general. So, uh, so well done to Cayman in, in terms of uh, making sure that the vendors got their fair share of time. Yeah. I, I guess the only thing that probably needs work, new experience that I didn't because I didn't buy lunch, was the meals. Yeah. The, the way to get everybody in and out in one shot and get their meal. And I heard that, you know, and you told me that it, there were a little bump, bump in the road kind of for the process. Yeah. Like they made one room wait a half hour while the first room ate. Yeah. And then they swapped out. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying. Right. They had seven lines, food lines set up for lunch. And, and even that, probably was not enough, right? How was the food? What did you eat? Oh, the one day they had uh, meatloaf and macaroni and cheese. Then the next day they had pulled pork and they had mashed potatoes and gravy. They were, you know, the food was good. Yeah. Yep, it, was it wasn't, good. you know, crappy sub sandwiches or whatever. Yeah. They had real meals. I noticed right. that while I walked past, I saw somebody's plate. It looked really good. Yeah. What did I do? I went over to Taco Bell because <laughs> I had to leave the venue. You weren't allowed. Yeah, well, so let's, let's, let's talk about that. <clears throat> we went through it together when you when you registered. Yeah. And I thought for sure I'd led you through and said, do you want to buy meals? Yeah, I'm buying meals. Are you buying? Okay, we'll buy meals. And then when we get there, we look at your ticket. No meals. No meals. So, And they wouldn't allow you to buy meals at the conference, in other words. To show up uninvited and say, "Hey, can I, can I have in?" So, so at some point here, we're going to talk about the actual talks. So, sorry if you're waiting for that. We promise. <laughs> but there's a couple other uh, environmental things that we, we need to get to. One of them was we were both gobsmacked at where the hell did we come to? We're yeah. in the Great Smoky Mountains in the middle of Tennessee. Oh. Oh, and yeah. we really felt like we were going to be out in the sticks. You know, Virginia is Virginia, Tennessee's Tennessee. There's really not anything. You go down the interstate till you get off an exit, you come to some small, charming little town that might have one or two things about it. We started seeing restaurants, and there. If you see an outdoor uh, Bass Pro Shops. You know you're something because they put those things at, at various places in the world for a reason. And we saw Knife World, the biggest knife factory in the entire world. And we kept saying to ourselves, like, something's really weird about this place. Look at all the neon signs and so on. So it turns out us country bumpkins from New Jersey had no idea that Dollywood is right here. Uh, we went, we stayed in Sayreville. I don't know if I'm saying the name right. And we're right next to Pigeon Forge. And I forget the other town. Typical, uh, very well-known Tennessee town that people from New Jersey don't know. Anybody around here would go. They're probably screaming at their radio. Yeah. <laughs> But we started driving down this strip of a three-lane highway in the middle of nowhere and seeing go-kart tracks and 
we we drove it last night and like just sounded off to record for our wives what we saw. Well, you mentioned the neon lights. Eight thousand hotels, water parks, <laughs> golf course things. It was like Las Vegas. <clears throat> Everything was lit up. Lights around the windows, lights around the roof line, lights around the doors. Um, so who knew in the middle of Tennessee that that this was here? Nobody's ever come back to New Jersey and said, you know, where you need to go. You need to go to the Great Smoky Mountains and well, see this Dollywood thing. Why have we never heard of this as a vacation destination? Don't know. Because clearly it was, it is you a vacation. You could spend a week there and not see everything. That, you know, let's say... Just, just to be clear, Tangier Outlets. If you don't know what Tangier Outlets is, it's acres and acres and acres of outlet stores of every kind of thing you could ever want to buy. Yeah. They had, just as an example, Lodge Cookware, who makes iron frying uh, pans, yeah. cast iron. There was a Lodge outlet, big one, like specialized next to the knife store. And as you drive down the road, every restaurant chain of notoriety, from small to big, and and custom ones in between, like Guy Fieri and things like that, were there. Everything you could ever want. If you want to eat in the uh, Applebee's, like we did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're pretty simple folk. Buffalo or you wanted to eat in Hard Rock Cafe or whatever. It was yeah. all within 10-minute driving distance of the conference. Yeah. And we didn't know. That was a, a little bit of a rainstorm. Well, faster. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, that's going to show up on the tape. You can hear it. We're on Route 81 somewhere, about 118 miles south of something-something. By the way, I have to say this. Uh, I was thinking about my next episode being called Sally Sells Sea Sells by the Seashore <laughs> because one of the things that I've done in my off time is go and get everybody knows him as Invisalign I'm wearing 3M clarity aligning trays the plastic things that sit on your teeth and I sound like Cindy Brady when I talk because <laughs> I lisp now I don't know how much it's come through, but now that I've said it, you'll probably all be like, oh, yeah, there was something off. I was talking to Dave Burns. No, I was talking to Rich from Broodminder, remember? Yeah. And I was wearing a mask because I can't get sick. And I told him, by the way, I'm, that's why I sound this. He said, I did notice something different about your voice, <laughs> your, your pronunciation. Everybody notices, but nobody wants to say nobody anything. Nobody says anything, Kevin. Hey, what's Kevin, with Kevin? Kevin, you sound funny. Kevin has a lisp now. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to him? Well, and the thing, I, I mentioned this to you before, is I had Invisalign probably 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's changed a lot since then. But one thing that hasn't changed is you're constantly taking them out. Take so them can, in, take them take out. Take them out so you can eat, brush your teeth, clean your teeth, take, drink something, take them out, put them in. And you can't constantly carrying them around. It's it's a, no wonder. When you go to EAS, you get a lanyard yeah. to carry your badge in, and it has a place to carry a pen and do all of that. Yeah. I wear the EAS Better B, thank you, Better B, lanyard every day. 
because I put this kit together that has floss picks and <laughs> the puller, P-U-L, pull thing that pulls them out and a little tray to put them in so I don't set them on the table and throw them out with my napkin. And So it's an adjustment in life. And yes, Sally sells seashells by the seashore. So... That happened um, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and I got to wear them for a year. And one of the funny things is I'm going to record a lot of the videos for managementering for the training courses. Yeah. yeah, with your lisp. With my lisp. So it'll be institutionalized until I go back and do round two recordings. Yeah. Hopefully it won't show up too much. So listen, one other thing before we talk about the speakers is um, I wanted to talk about the honey show. Yeah. By far the biggest honey show that I've seen, I've ever seen, not that I'm an, an expert on honey shows, um, but the where they had it set up down at the end of one of the halls, and uh, there was a lot of, like, Florida seal wind, uh, ceiling windows two, three stories high, and they had all the honey on shelves uh, up, up against the uh, these windows, and as the sun shined through, it just looked spectacular. It looked spectacular, and and it was such. Cayman, sorry, this was the most lost opportunity they had yeah. to showcase something. Because when you go to ABF, like the one we saw in Hershey, yeah, they did the judging in one place that was cordoned off. And when they finished with the bottles, they walked them over and they set them up on shelves. And they had stanchions, if I remember correctly. But you could walk down this entire wall of all the stuff that people produce, the wax products. And the, and here, they had it all sitting off the back end of a corridor. And they had stanchions out in front of it. And you could only look upon it from afar. Yeah. You couldn't walk in and see the detail of the wax things that people made and the photographs and the encaustic paintings or whatever else yeah. they had. You don't even know what they had because you, you could just stare at it from a distance. It was a real missed opportunity because there were a lot of entries and some really, really, really fine work. So, Yeah, so that that's one area that, um, you know, they likely will hear some feedback and make some changes and improve and again run a conference learn run a conference learn that's the agile approach and you know they they have enough on their hands just trying to figure out how to grow from 200 to 700 to 1000 to 2000 let alone this kind of knit where but that brings us to, uh, to the next improvement they could make which they could add another day to the conference easily so and that, you and I talk about how we really enjoy the interactions with other beekeepers. Yeah. And if they added another day and places for people to congregate and just sit down in small little groups and chat. Yeah. One thing I wish. So the best, sorry, the best experience at EAS is the dorm room thing that we had this year. Yeah where everybody comes back together at night and just hangs out and 
you know, does whatever they do. There was food. We made food. We we were drinking beer and playing games. What playing play games? Yahtzee? Played Yahtzee. And I'm sitting shoulder to shoulder with Mike Palmer and you know Tuckabee's over there in the corner having a conversation with somebody and and Aaron McGregor Forbes is down there with their cronies having fun and you know that's that to me mm-hmm. is the best experience and if they could figure out so they they did an amazing job with the bluegrass concert thing they had yeah that was fun so came in uh, I don't know Cayman, so this was a surprise to me, but everybody else is like, duh, Kevin. is a bluegrass player and plays in a bluegrass band, and he said out loud that he and his family have been doing this, I guess, all his life. And the bluegrass group got up on the main stage and played for an hour and a half. Yeah, roughly, yeah. And everybody got to sit in there. Well, it would have been neat to just leave that hall open at night and, and have something going on games or whatever in that venue well what i've seen at different con- like going to the salesforce conference they'll set a space up like that yeah and they'll have cornhole down in one corner and they'll have some sort of video thing in another corner the room is big enough to to accommodate small little sections set up yeah and they could do something like that to entertain people. I don't know if people would go back to their hotels or whether they would hang out. But yeah. if they'd hang out, that would give the venue space uh, the ability to let beekeepers network, which, quite frankly, is one of the best parts of going to one of these shows is yeah. just sitting down like we did this morning and talked to the guy from Virginia. But kudos for having that main hall set up with tables. Tables. Instead of just rows of seats. Yeah. Didn't the other room, which was rows of seats, felt yeah. impersonal, didn't it? Yeah. Because they're so, they were so large, just because of the crowd. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame it. Again. Uh, um, yeah, not being too critical, just areas for improvement. It's, it's spectacular planning to get a massive hall with tables set up. Yeah. 10 people at a table it costs a lot of money 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 yeah all right so what else before the speakers what else do we want to talk about i think that drain the swamp <laughs> <laughs> i i can't from the show experience um you know t-shirts and Mugs. Mugs and... Logos, bumper stickers. So, so they had merch for Deep, Hive Life, which details. was good good on them. And I think they sold a lot of it. I'm wearing my Hive Life t-shirt. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything else from the experience that was wanting. And, and the genuine mirth, mirth from the people who participated. I think most of the energy was the fact that this was a community untapped that came in this region of people who had never been to something like this before. And the wonder that you hold to come to a conference like this on the first time just permeated the entire place. There was a glow over the conference center the entire three days of people who were just genuinely happy. And it came through. This, every speaker said, yeah. I can't believe the energy in this place. Well, that you described it very well, Kevin. That was, that's exactly what it was. It was a different feel. There was a vibe. And it extended throughout the whole conference. I, I have to say this out loud. 
you you and I went different ways yesterday afternoon after lunch. Got connected later in the afternoon. I went back through the vendor room to go look at something. I was walking through the booth area and got to the um, oh jeez please help me Bob I just had a stroke here through the booth area the, the tote device lady oh yeah the um I'm so sorry hi butler god hi butler that was terrible on me the high butler lady yep and I had said to you somewhere in the show that Look at the High Butler booth. Yeah. What an amazing story that is. It was it was just packed and she was there talking to, to everybody and anybody and they were flying off the shelf. The literally. first time we encountered the High Butler, I remember her, she seemed overwhelmed. I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know her name. But I interviewed her and put a video out of her giving her a little spiel about her product. Like, she probably had set up and was set up for five minutes and nobody was standing there. Mm. And I, I make this sound like I did something important. I didn't. Right. I did what I always do, which is I had a camera and she looked like somebody to talk to. And I just walked up and said, tell me about your product, right? Mm-hmm. And put it out on the channel. That's all my, my thing was about, right? I, In the end, she told me. She, she saw me walk by <laughs> and I said, hi. And she said, I remember you. And and you could she didn't say it, but she almost said like your video helped me. Helped me, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I'm sorry if this sounds condescending, but congratulations. I said, trust me when I tell you that I realize how you stuck your neck out to do what mm-hmm. you did. And this is such an affirmation of how well your product is the the foresaw it the idea is spectacular and you did great i said i have to tell you a story and this is true you and i saw it i went out to my car for lunch on the first day and if somebody was walking through the parking lot with their high butler that they had just purchased and some other lady coming the other way turned around and said you bought yourself a high butler good for you you're gonna love that i love mine i bought four of them and she's shouting this to the other lady who's beaming because she's carrying this thing i told that to the high butler lady she's like oh my god you know yeah yeah it just you could see the warmth in her heart from that and i said to her congratulations as she said she said, given what you've told me, I know you understand. She goes, you just have no idea how hard this has been. The manufacturing process, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I, I persevered and I've done it and it's, and it's an amazing thing. So then she said to me, this is my friend over here next to her. She had given some of her booth space. Mm-hmm. I had to go to a session and I'm sorry I didn't stop for a minute, but she was selling something that was a clear plastic lens. Did you see that? I did not, know. So this was the idea, and I'm sorry, I don't know the product. I could probably go look it up somewhere. You take your, your beekeeping suit and you get a knife. I heard her doing her little spiel as I was walking past. She goes, I know you feel like this is going to be a problem. 
but you just take a deep breath and you do it. She goes, you take this template, you hold it down, you take a knife and you cut it through, and then you, it had this uh, clear plastic surrounded by a, a plastic frame that had couplers in it. And you take one side, you set it down around the hole, and you take the other one and you push it down, and it mates the two up and joins them together. And what you end up with is you have this clear plastic panel in front of your face instead of screen. Oh. And it was a genius. Really smart. Really? And, yeah. And that's that's what made her, separates her product, was that she fulfilled a need that beekeepers yes. had. And the product took off. Everybody would look at that high butler thing and say... My life is better because I have right. one of those. And this the you know, product that you just described to me is another one it's of a those no-brainer. things. It's a no-brainer. It's really smart. Is people say, yeah, you know what? It would be great to be able to see and not have to look through the screen. I actually meant to take you back to that. Oh, but, yeah. You know, I'm sorry I so missed many that. things we could get that, to. That sounds like it was pretty innovative. Again, a simple idea, right? But fulfills a need that, that beekeepers have. I bet you that product takes off. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it was, it, I don't know, this is just me talking. I don't think it's daunting to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you could screw it up, and if you did, you'd probably you buy a new hood for your suit, or, yeah. or, you know, how many veils do you have, right? Yes. So you try, you try it on one of your... Even older, a regular veil. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, try, pretty smart. Yeah, try it on and, a cheap and old one. My guess is a year from now... Mm-hmm. It'll end up in all the beekeeping catalogs. Yeah. You know. Let's talk about products for a minute. The other thing that uh, we were searching for is called a frame cage. Yes. And and it's basically, uh, it's a little cage with a queen excluder, basically to be able to isolate your queen um, for whatever reason. You know, a lot of different uses why you want to isolate your queen. Obviously, uses in queen rearing, where you could isolate her to a frame so you know how old the, the larvae are before you graft them, things like that. For drone, uh, you know, drone removal, things like that. But I had never seen one of those. Although, as it turns out, they were in the catalog. Yeah. They're in the Better Bee catalog. What is it called? It's called a frame cage. Frame cage. And... Uh, we saw what happened is I saw someone carrying one because I said to you I want I want to see if I can get some of those vertical queen double excluders, queen excluder yeah something that I can you know put between frames and isolate the queen and then we saw someone carrying one of these and it said yeah that's what that's what I'm looking for there and we finally located it what did he say he said they ran out of them yeah. but when I asked him for one they went out to the truck and got five uh-huh. and if you want one he just brought them in you better go get yeah. one. So we walked right over, <laughs> right? And guess what? The guy in front of us bought the last he bought, one. The guy in front of him bought three, <laughs> and the guy behind, yeah. And they were gone. We didn't get one. We just missed one. But I would anyway. have bought one of those. Yeah. And then we went to, who gave the talk? Was it Bob? About isolating the queen? Oh, that was... Uh, or Warner? No, no. That was uh, the guy from France. Richard Noel. Noel. Okay. He talked about isolating the queen as a method for mite control. Yeah, we're all over the place, right? But everything <laughs> is just kind of top of head. Um, yeah. We might as well talk about the things we bought. I bought a new smoker. We bought? Oh, I guess I did. Buy. Oh, you bought I, something, didn't oh, you? Oh, no. God, don't, don't make <laughs> me go there. All I, right. 
<laughs> you said I'm not buying a, a thing. Because I really capital effing thing. I liked those three frame nukes, but I said if I come home with anything, my wife will kill me. Kill you. Absolutely. I'm talking kill because I have been trying my best to clean things out and try to downsize a little bit. And if I came home with more, she would get, she would just crucify me. Let's talk me. about those three frame nukes. Yeah. They're not some slapdash <clears throat> guy built a new garage box. They're like a five-frame nuke cut down. They were built purposely. They're tongue and groove, like a regular... Yeah, I was going to say precision-made. Precision-made. Well-made out of good quality wood. They were screwed and nailed. And I, I mean, I could not build those boxes for the price of... They were selling them for, what, $22? I think they were 30, 30 something around 30. $23 they were. Okay. $23 a piece. It was $30 for the five frame nuke sitting over on the side. All right. Right. $23. Couldn't couldn't build that in our garage. Completely Considering the labor to the quality that they were built. I bought three of them. And I know, you know, that when we do queen rearing and we want to, you know, put together some. We're going to take a queen and put her in with three frames. These things are going to be perfect. They don't take up a lot of room in the garage, which is one of the big things because they had a migratory roof. They sit flat next to each other. Yeah. They yeah. take up the space of one box and the utility of them. Now, you and I, we were using my six-frame polynukes with a divider in the middle. Yep. And I use a, a, a queen castle, same idea. Right, but but I think these things are going to have quite a bit of merit. So this this is another. We example. never talked about this. Do you think you could ever winter a three frame box sitting next to each other? I think if you That'd be put them together, you, you probably could. Um, but this is another example of something I've never seen before, right? I mean, you know, of three frame nukes, but mostly they're they're something that somebody builds in their garage. Nobody right? ever takes the time to build a tongue and groove, tongue and yeah. groove, no finger joint, whatever. I don't know why I don't. Finger join us. I'm having a moment. Describes it. This morning. Just need more coffee. Um, you know, traditional finger join box in a three-frame form factory. You just, it's it's not practical, but somebody actually did it and then sold them for next to nothing. Well, the, the, I remember the first time They're we They're unicorns. Walked, the first time we, yeah, the first time we walked by them. You know, you just get a glance, and you said to me, what are those? I, no, I walked past them, and then I stopped, and you bumped into the back of me. It's like one of those Fred and Barney moments, yeah. you know? And, you, and, you went, and I turned those? around and said, hold on a minute. we got to go back and look at that thing. And I looked, and I said, I think that's a Because at first I thought it was just a simple old five-frame nuke, but then yeah. I realized that they were really narrow. Yeah. So, we came home with a few. I bought a new smoker. Uh, yes. Day don't. We walked around, you and I, looking, and that's what the show was great for. Mm -hmm. I had said to you, I would like to buy a new smoker. I don't use one of those state apiarous tall ones. I use yeah. a mid-sized one. They had uh, smokers of every size and dimension at this show. The one well, thing I don't like is that the, the cage around it comes back to those two things that it sits on. Yeah, they get caught. And they get caught on stuff in the Daydont design. I like the ones that I've seen. So one of the beekeepers we mentored this summer had one. Um, the cage comes down and it comes underneath 
in like a clockwork pattern and it all joins underneath. Mm. Really nice cage that someone built. That might have been an old Kelly, you know? Nobody had one at the show. I walked around to look at all the various cages. Yeah. But the one thing I had said to you is, one, what is the key thing for a smoker, in my mind, from a quality standpoint? The gauge of the metal. And the quality of the bellows. Bellows. Those two. And nobody beats Dedon, sorry. Yeah. We walked around and looked at them. There were some nice ones, but nobody's was as nice as Dedon's. I agree. And, I ha- I and specifically on. on how that the wooden sides and the frame, the metal trim around them, and how they're fastened to the quality of the leather. Mm-hmm. It's not pleather. I think it's leather, leather of the baffles. And I have, I've had, you know, it's funny as people I know it. Like here's a smoker, since you don't have one, and I never get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had four or five, six different smokers, and the one that I use on a daily basis is my Daydown one. So the one that I have is, is uh, you know, it's been bent and reshaped. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know how that goes with a smoker over time. Yeah. So you got a brand new smoker. So I have a shiny also, brand new one. You also bought uh, a couple of new tools. Yes. So what do you think of them? So what we're talking about is uh, grafting tools, right? It looks almost like a, a dental instrument, dental pick, because we've traditionally used the Chinese grafting tool, which is probably the easiest one to learn by. Uh, so we're going to give our uh, give it a shot and see how these manual tools work. And I don't know, tell me what you thought about why we. Uh, why did you buy them? So there's there's probably five or six qualities of them that I think eventually we're going to come to love and one that we're going to miss grossly. The first thing is the tool in your hand feels really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's metal and it's got a knurled finish in the... It, it's like a fidget thing in your hand. You want to hold it. Yeah. It feels really good in your hand. It has two different ends. And I think the nature of the beast is when you go with the end of the instrument to go down into the tool to pick up the, the larva that you can't see badly because it's so small, it's just converted from an egg to a larva. Um, you have to kind of do it by feel. If I could describe the one end, it comes down and it comes flat and then it has a 90 degree bend and then it has a small jut out that's 45 degrees and it makes almost like a a reverse L shape. Yeah. And I think the gist of this is you go in sideways and you take the tool and you turn it so that the L shape goes down underneath and you kind of scoop from the side Mm -hmm. and pull the larva out and it's sitting on there. Now, the million-dollar question, and this is the thing we're going to miss, is how the hell do you get it off? How do you get it off? Yeah. So The other one is more like a shovel shape, if I could describe it. It's flat, and then it has a slight bend, and it has a flat, and it almost looks like... Um, 
It's like a paddle almost. Like a coffee stirrer yeah. that you bent on the bottom. Now, what I said to you is I bought you one, I bought me one, and I bought a third one. The third one is the one we're going to bastardize. Modify. Because we're going to try the two that we like, and we're going to say, I wish it was flatter, or I wish it bent this way, or did yeah. whatever. We're going to use the third one and a pair of needle-nose pliers and some heat, and we're going to shape it to the way we want it, and then we're going to use it, and once we get it sorted out, we'll go modify the other two that we have in reserve. That's my plan. I think what we're going to find is that shovel end is going to be fairly easy to master. Right. It's the other end that you described, the backward L that you kind of come in from the side that's going to take some uh, some practice. I still don't know how you get the larva off. I, I, I guess you're relying on the uh, surface tension of the royal jelly, right? I guess. I guess. Yeah. Well, this is the other thing, too, and forgive us if you've never done queen rearing. This is probably all Greek to you, but in essence, you're trying to transfer the larva out into a cup that you're going to give to a hive, and they're going to make a queen out of it. And when you're doing that, imagine the scenario. You're sitting there in front of a frame with all the cells, and you know how hard it is to see eggs out in the bright daylight. You're trying to go in and pick something out that just converted from an egg to a larva and not damage it in the process. That's the hard part. Yeah. And scoop as much of the royal jelly with it as and you can. And get the royal jelly. And then you have to transfer it. And part of the thing is this is a living organism that you're transferring. Mm -hmm. You can't flip it over. You can't smash it. You can't drown it in the liquid that it's floating in. And you can hardly see it. And you can't <laughs> hardly see what you're working with. So there's a certain finesse that you learn tactically. And when you use one tool, you kind of figure it out. Like with the Chinese crafting tool, it's they need to come up with a better name for that. Yeah, I think so too. It has a flat blade and kind of is like a ballpoint pen. And the blade, if you can picture this, sticks out like a tongue, flat tongue and it goes under and follows the contour of the bottom of the cell and when it gets underneath the larva it comes in contact with the liquid the royal jelly and the surface tension of the liquid pulls the larva out with it when it, you retract it out of the cell and then when you go to put it in the cup you push a plunger like you're pushing the button on a pen to make the pen come out and a little protrusion comes out of the bottom of the pen device instead of the actual pen that you write with and it slides along the tongue thing that sticks out of the bottom of the tool and it shoves it off like yeah. Shh, go over there yeah that doesn't exist in this tool Again, I think you're relying on that, that surface tension because let's talk, go back and talk about what we learned, or I le you learned it first, but I learned it from you with the Chinese grafting tool, is you don't really have to try to scoop. You're not scooping. You're not scooping. All you really need to do is get it under there and touch it, and the royal jelly kind of sticks to that tongue, and then you, you pull it back. If you try to scoop, 
that's when you turn the larva over. Right, or you or, smash or it on the other side. It, right, and... right. So, uh, so I think this will be the same way. I think you'll get it on that shovel end, and then all you'll do to transfer it is put it in the bottom of the cell and just touch it. Let the royal jelly touch the bottom of the cell, and it'll pull the whole the whole thing off. I think. I, I think. Don't know. Well, we'll that's see. that's what we're going to learn. We'll and find you and out. I were we're down a rabbit hole here, right? yeah, really. doing a lesson on how to do. But but one of the things that I will say to you is that we knew this year you need to mass provision the hive so that the royal jelly is is crazy in the cell that you're getting. Mm-hmm. Because the year before that, when we did it, we didn't do a really good job at that. Yeah. And it was dry. There wasn't a lot of liquid. Yeah. And without that surface tension from the liquid, it's it's near impossible sometimes to get the, the not, stuff out. Not only that, we didn't have a good take either because we didn't have, have enough jelly. Right. So, uh, and that was one trick that we learned, I learned, from the Michael Bush video is he takes the frame that uh, he's going to graft from and maybe... An hour before he's going to graft it, he puts it into his cell builder so that the bees will mass provision that frame that he's going to graft from. So when you open it up, it's just loaded with royal jelly, and it makes grafting a whole lot easier. Yeah. What else? You know, the other thing, and again, we're all over the place, but the other thing we learned... (laughs) Okay. The other thing we this learned. This is what it's like, right, yeah. when you're driving home, staring at the yeah. interstate out your windshield. Well, we listened to a couple of talks on queen rearing, and the one yesterday, the one key takeaway was how important uh, the speaker, and I forget who it was, the speaker felt was that you maintained a warm and humid atmosphere while you were grafting. Yeah, this was Werner. Werner, and he kept just stressing that. He said his room is 90 degrees, it's humid, and it's uncomfortable. But, yeah. But and it I, emulates the interior of... Yeah, and I never thought about it. But think about when we grafted, right? We took the frame, and we took it into... Uh, into the nice, cool house, because yeah, it was hot air, outside. And it was air, <laughs> right, it was air conditioning. So not only was it cool, it was dry. Right. Exactly what you don't want. So... Again, that these are the little tricks that you pick up if you want to be successful or more successful. Yeah, so the other major takeaway, we might as well let the cat out of the bag of that <laughs> talk was 40 minutes was his benchmark. Yeah. From the time that you pull your resource material out to the time that you put the larva that you've grafted into the bar and back into the builder is no more than 40 minutes. Yeah. And he gauged that by data on, he, he alluded to this, he didn't say it, I don't know, put words in his mouth. How often does a bee get visited in a cell? Mm-hmm. He said if it's more than 40 minutes, then that might cause a problem for them. That was kind of what he inferred from yeah. my takeaway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were nowhere near 40 minutes when we grafted, especially the first time or two. Yeah. Right? We had those things out for I don't know how long. but So it goes to show, right, when you try to do this, what do you know, right? You go, you grab a thing, you're sitting there, you're you're drinking soda and talking about it and how did you do and so on. But then you watch somebody who actually does this for a living. They're so quick, they're so efficient, they have the thing covered with a warm, moist cloth and all of that stuff. And Corey Stevens holds his frame up, and all 17 of them are covered. And ours, 
had five or six and we're going, what the heck happened? I don't understand what we did wrong, right? Well, this is it. It devils in the details. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but it's just so like, it's important to go to these things and listen to these people who do this all the time and they give you in dribs and drabs how to do it. And hopefully people like you and I collect all these and then we put it all together in one presentation and can tell you the, the tricks of the trade, basically. Yep. Did I buy anything else? Um, oh, yes, you did. What else did I buy? Another tool. I don't remember. Think about it. It's a little uh, frame cleaner. Tool. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me. I'm not really sure I understand what that tool is for exactly, but you seem to know because you want to yes. buy one. Yes. So I said to you at one point, and I produced videos on this, you can go to Northwest YouTube, NWNJBA YouTube, how to clean frames. The worst part is the lower edge of the frame, the groove. How do you get all the wax and the propolis out? Right. I found this tool from the automotive industry that is used to take the rubber molding off of the window and it's got this flat blade with the curved hook on the bottom that's absolutely perfect for holding at the perfect angle and pulling along and it gouges out all the wax and the propolis. Yeah. They sell a tool, I think I bought it from Manly, or was it Better Be? No, I don't I remember didn't. whose booth it was. Whatever. I think they're pretty common, pretty standard. And it's a tool made with this end that has a sharp gouging thing, and it's the perfect width. Somebody like a blacksmith took this quarter-inch stock material square and bent it in a way that makes a shape perfect for going down and gouging out that groove. Yeah. And I said to you, the thing's only $7 or $8 or something. Mm -hmm. I want to try that. You know, maybe you're not going to go on Amazon and buy the tool that I recommended. Yeah. If you could just buy this thing out of the B catalog. So I want to know how it works. Yeah. And we so, watched Bob Binney talk about rotating your comb out. Yeah. Well, what do you do when you rotate your comb out? If you're a typical hobbyist like you and I, I'm not throwing all those frames out. It took a lot of energy to build them, yep. and they're perfectly fine. They just need a new sheet of foundation. Half the problem, though, is that a lot of people would be like, I'm not going to stand in my garage for hours picking a comb out of the bottom because I can't get the wires in the bottom groove because it's clogged up. Kind of sounds this thing, like me. <laughs> you take the, the heat gun that you have, yeah. you run it over the frame, when it's heated up, and you take this tool and you go, and you're done. It, yeah. it gouges the thing right out. No muss, no fuss, right? Yep. That makes the, the frame plausible to be reused versus uh, I am not going to sit here with a screwdriver and try and pick out this hard stuff that's been in there for four and, years. And I guess that's me, right? Right. I, I would never think of cleaning that out because I, I can't get to it and I'm not going to 
take a uh, a bent paper clip and try to clean right. all of that. And that's out, what right? people are doing. They don't have yeah. the right tool for the job. When you have the right tool for the job, it's easier. It's it, easy. It makes it lickety split. Yeah. And why should you throw the frames out? No, that's right. Especially if if you spent the time to put them together, right? That's it's a lot of work. You buy them. how many nails in a frame? Ten. Right? Yes. Two, four, six, eight, ten. So you got ten nails in every frame. You got to glue them. You blah, blah, blah. They're a pain in the neck to me. I don't know if it's a masochistic nature in me, but I actually enjoyed sitting there and cleaning all those frames out and looking at the boxes. And, you know, the thing was, I did this at, at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, and, it, and I can't tell you how much it pays off. The yeah. payoff is incredible because I'm staring at a box and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this box needs uh, to be built up next week. And I need, I don't use plastic, I use wax. I need a box of wax foundation. I go into the garage, I pull the box off the shelf with these frames hanging there ready to go, completely clean, and it takes me 15 minutes to put 10 f- sheets of foundation in, and I'm ready to go. Yeah. And, and you're it- doing it at the time when you're about to put it out on the thing. Now, imagine if you said, I have these frames and they have old comb in them and I need to cut them out and do all that. You'd never do it. No. And then that's why it's a great task for the off-season, for the right. winter. Right? Because, first of all, it keeps you connected with beekeeping. Put a little music on and... Yeah, you want to do something, right? You could do a box in 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Easily. And, and that includes scraping the frames down, pulling it out, renailing the, the cleats and... Cleaning the holes out so that you can put the pins in, all of it. So it, it's funny. I guess you you're more in tune with that because you use plastic found or not, excuse me, wax, wax foundation. Right. So you need that groove open. Um, I run a lot of foundationless, so I'm okay with just scooping it. You know, I don't need it to be clean. So that's funny. That's why I didn't really understand the tool. You knew immediately what it was for. Yeah, by the way, we have to talk about that. You said something to me yesterday, like you could solve your whole problem of whatever by running foundationless. And what did I say to you? you I am. You, yeah, you, you have a ton of it. <laughs> this is the funny thing about it, and and I, this is another milestone that I achieved. At one point, you and I bought Kelly Efrings, all the ones we could because yep. Kelly was going out of business. And I had... You had a ton of them. Six yeah. full deeps full of... Kelly F frames and over since we've done the frame game and rotated our comb out mm-hmm. I've got it all in all of it and yeah. and I had probably 20 frames just sitting around so I have in my entire operation 80 frames of foundationless in all my boxes and I only have 16 hives or whatever it is right yep so I think that's that speaks to probably a third to almost a half of my operation is foundationless comb. Yeah. And, you know, what's the benefit of that? There's no foundation. And yesterday we heard about how bad all the fluvalinate and kumafos that's in foundation comb. You know, that is the one, one, one good thing about plastic foundation that people use. 
you're not putting that stuff in your hive. Well, but, but, he, but even, the frames are wax. That's where I was going to go. It, it's the same wax, right? So that wax is contaminated too. That's why foundationless. If you want clean wax, and even even that is going to be, it's not going to stay clean even if it is right from the beginning, it, because it just absorbs it like a sponge. It absorbs everything that's brought into the hive. And we should bees, spend a minute on what Bob said to reiterate that. Right, but before we we have to talk about what I bought. Okay, go ahead. What did you? <laughs> so I. I was really good the first day and a half. <laughs> you know, you kept te- you say. kept tempting me. You know, uh, aren't you going to buy some of these three frame nukes? No, nope, my wife will kill me. Aren't you going to well, look at this, Bob? And then I missed out. You need out. one of these. That's I, what I kept saying. You, <laughs> I missed you out. You need on, one of those, don't you, Bob? <laughs> I missed out on the frame. I'm like the devil on your shoulder. <laughs> right. The one thing I really could have justified was the frame cage, right? And I missed out. So. <clears throat> As we're walking around, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, a proud grandfather for the first time. I have a six or seven month old granddaughter, and I'm just completely smitten with her. So anyway, we're, we're walking around, and we see this, I see this little pink uh, bee suit for a one-year-old. I mean, it's, it looks like it's, it would fit a doll. That, that's how small it was. And it was hanging up, and I saw it the first time, of course, it caught my eye. Oh, isn't that cute, you know? But, but uh, And I didn't think about buying it. I'm looking at it and go, I think it was 40-some dollars. And I'm, I don't, I'm not, not gonna buy one of these. So I avoided temptation all week long. And then yesterday I had lunch with Landy, Landy Simone. And Landy and I talk grandkids all the time because she's a grandma, I'm a grandpa. She's got a couple grandkids that are a little bit older. And she says to me, uh, yeah, I want to get over to the vendor area and see if I can't find a uh, suit for my uh, five-year-old grand- grandson. I said, well, I, I saw some, you know, children-sized suits. I'll go over, we'll go with you. So anyway, we go to the booth and there's the pink one again. And... Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let's go back. So we stop at the first booth, and they have little T-shirts, B-T-shirts for uh, kids, and B-bibs, and all this stuff for for kids and babies. And she buys a couple T-shirts and whatever, and she says, aren't you going to buy anything? And I I, I said, no, no, I'm not going to buy anything. See, Landy was the devil on your shoulders. She was. She absolutely was. So then we get, so I take her over, so let me show you this. So we go over there really under the uh, the pretense that she's going to buy a suit for her five-year-old and there's that little pink uh, pink suit hanging up there and uh, damn if I didn't end up buying it yeah it's uh, you only it, live once Bob it's the cutest little thing but it's a uh, <laughs> just a wave. You know what? I'll use it. I'll put it on her once. I'll take some pictures. We'll send them around, and and that'll be it. Although I I guess she could always wear it for a Halloween also. But uh, that's the one thing I came home with, and it was. It's one of those me. heirlooms that, in time, you go. Yeah. What am I going to do with this? And you yeah. bring it to a bee meeting, and somebody would be thrilled to have it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it'll get passed on for generations and generations. Uh, I'll put it in the auction at the, right. the Christmas party, right? <clears throat> So that was all I bought, though. That was all you bought. How is that possible? It's, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on a mission. I got to get that stuff out of my garage. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to 
get all over the place, but that's okay. That's the organic nature of you and you and I talking. There's another conference coming up, virtual, online, February oh, 25th 5th. or something. 25th. What yeah. is that? So this was it is the uh, South Michigan Sustainable Beekeeping Association, I think. So what's the, whatever the acronym is for that. The way I found out about them was I saw that there was a uh, webinar with Troy Hall. Troy Hall is a uh, commercial beekeeper. He's a uh, protege of Kirk Webster. And I saw him and Kirk Webster a couple years ago at Rodale at a queen rearing uh, conference that I took, a course that I took. So anyway, I saw, and he was, the title of the talk was something like rebounding from uh, a devastating loss or something to that effect saying, you know, he, he had a bad year, and how do you get back in? So I said, oh, I want to hear about this, because I know that for the most part, I, I won't say he's a treatment for he's, he's a nat, more natural style beekeeper. And I try, you know, to stay away from the chemicals, you know me, in treatment. So I figured, let me tune into this. So that's how I found out about them. Yeah. And they had this, this webinar coming up. It's an all-day affair. It's going to have uh, Michael Bush. On a, on a Saturday, right? It's on a Saturday. Les Crowder. Um, it's going to be have uh, Harbo, who developed some of the uh, VSH uh, bees, and a few others. Varroa-sensitive hygiene, which yeah. are bees that are can, renowned can, for taking care of varroa mites in the yeah, hive. Yep. Yeah. So, so I like the speakers, and of course they offered you a deal, I mean it was $55 for the conference, which is a, a great price to begin with, but then they give you $20 off, you join the association, and blah blah blah, anyway, so that's that's what I'm going to do on the 25th of February, going to listen to this uh, webinar. I think, uh, no, I should be recovered from my eye surgery by then. Well, I'm we, sick of January, but we were February. Honestly, we were supposed to uh, to teach the beginning beekeeping course for Raritan Valley beekeepers on that day. Oh. And that's what Adele <clears throat> contacted me for yesterday. She wanted to know whether we could do the following week, because I told her I couldn't do that day. Oh, okay. Okay. But you know that's the beginning of the beekeeping season, and we're going to be out in the garage doing different things, whatever, <laughs> yeah, too, right? Yeah. But. Yep. This is where our family loses us. That that's the period of year where like go down in the garage. Uh, yeah. I'll see you at dinner time. You know, maybe Bob, we need to do this a different way. I, I'm gonna do a pivot. I'm gonna do a in our next episode. We're gonna go through what people taught us this week in the next show. I wanna go somewhere else. Even free. Oh. On the way down here, I said to you, I'm struggling. You're not going to go here, I'm right? like, yeah, we are. <laughs> I'm struggling because we're in the midst of this experiment. And we? We. Because you did this to me. You didn't. I did it to myself. But but I, I'm living the treatment-free lifestyle in my experiment for yeah. the first time. And it absolutely kills me to have done nothing. I go into winter 
in the absolute anti-pattern of everything that I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is the time when I start hearing from all the beekeepers about, we started seeing it this week. You saw it, didn't you? Yeah. Their hives are dying. Yep. I've got two dead hives. I went out and checked on this sunny day. So I think that's a good place to leave it. I had mentioned before that I was going to cut the recording in half. Actually, we did not get to talk about the speakers that came a little bit later in our journey of the 10-hour ride home. We went into more of a reflection on how our hives were doing over the winter period from fall to now and a bit of an extended local hive report. Both of us also sidebarred on a bunch of different topics, which... I'm going to release as a standalone episode right after this one. So they'll be released as a pair uh, in the next couple days. What I wanted to do before I close out this episode is just take a moment and reflect on managed mentoring. I had mentioned in the show opening that that is coming. It's something that I'm actively working on physically every hour of every minute of the day. I am releasing a new program designed by myself for new beekeepers. And currently I'm in the process of just finishing up all the final details. Uh, The surgery for my eye that I talked about earlier in the episode has messed everything up. The timing wasn't expected. The release of the program was supposed to happen here in late January. And unfortunately, after the surgery, I have an extensive recovery for at least a week of downtime where I'm just completely out of commission right in the middle of when I wanted to launch this. So I'm still trying to fix the schedule and crash the schedule if you can to figure out how to release it sometime in either the absolute end of January or beginning of February and still stay on track. One of the complications for getting started in beekeeping is you have to go buy your equipment and get it all prepped prior to getting your bees. And there's a number of sessions that coach you through that whole process in the beginning of the program. So what I'd say to you is if you are getting started in beekeeping, keep an ear here to the podcast for some announcements. And I'll be recording some episodes on managed mentoring, just advertising what it is, how it works, what it's for, and so on in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. If you're a new beekeeper, it's a good time to get engaged in the program. I want to say out loud that the program is primarily aimed for New Jersey beekeepers, New Jersey, especially the Northwest New Jersey branch that I belong to. Uh, You'll hear more about this, but if you are somewhere in the mid-Atlantic region, you will benefit from participating if that's your choice. And even if you're not, the basics of getting started and many of those tasks apply to everybody and As far as I'm concerned, the program is open. You're welcome to attend. And again, I'll have more information on that in the next upcoming episodes. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time on the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast.